Hi there, this is Dr. Rhea Zimmerman Komarek, and Blossom Radio is where I explore elements of living a whole and somatically embodied life through the lenses of chiropractic, the polyvagal theory, continuum, and other inspirations and guests that emerge. All right, it's Rhea here, and I'm so happy to be with my continuum teacher, um, mentor, special supporter, person in my life, Beth Riley. And I got to know Beth because I found her book. I was reading her book. It's called A Moving Inquiry, The Art of Personal Practice. And I was trying to figure out how to learn continuum, which is what she teaches. And I decided to, I think I got partway through the book and then decided to just search her out. And I found her and started working with her directly. And now I get to have her here with me today. And Beth, the first place I want to start with you is if you can tell me, you know, what is, what is this thing called continuum and how did you land in it? <laughs> That's a big story. Thank you so much for having me here, Rhea. And um, I, I discovered continuum when I was in graduate school. I had uh, decided to really pursue dance education as a profession and was uh, attending Stanford in the School of Education and happened to um, be part of a dance company that went on a field trip to San Francisco to see a, mo a woman who moves like water. And at that point, I walked into the room and I saw Emily Conrad, the founder of Continuum, and it was a fully felt take your breath away moment that gave me new breath. <laughs> And I found so much meaning instantly in how Emily was presenting the work of movement as our birthright and as the entry point for living a full creative life, movement, the movement that we are and that we carry. So I proceeded to um, study with her and with her co-teacher at the time, Susan Harper, and immerse myself as much as I could as I was completing my graduate school and ended up going to teach at a college and experimented with my college students on sharing the work and found the results so powerful uh, in terms of meaning. What does it mean to live a life as a human being that has this kind of intelligence available and if I engaged with my own biointelligence that Continuum showed me on a regular basis, would the quality of my life be different? And over and over again, I was um, aware of how the students were transformed and how myself in the, in the, the mix was transformed as well. So that was in 1978 which was a long time ago. And as I age, especially, I find that the work of Continuum is um, especially relevant to maintaining my fluidity in my body and living well at this time. So that's a little bit about how I discovered it. And of course, it changed my life. and. I have been devoted to making sure that the world knows it still exists ever since. Mm -hmm. 
What feels so powerful to you about making sure the world knows it exists? So uh, as every single um, decade has its challenges, and since I've discovered Continuum several decades ago, it seems to offer a creative way of meeting the circumstances of our lives with a certain amount of curiosity and innovation when we need it. So, of course, this is a time like no other. And right now, without the input of professionals to help us with hands-on work or in live classes, being able to have a practice that I can do for myself through which I experience increased flexibility, increased responsiveness, peace of mind, um, a sense of satisfaction and an experience of being connected to a larger whole, it is incredibly relieving in times of high stress. So for, for, for this time in particular, having a relationship with one's body and one's breath can offer an entry point to alleviate some of the suffering that many of us are going through at this time. You know, as you talk, I'm gaining clarity on it myself of some of the importance of it. And one of the things I think about is first to share that from what I perceive it, Continuum is both a emerging philosophy or worldview of life. And then in its practice, it's being with oneself. So it's a movement practice. It's a quiet, it's generally a quiet movement practice with sound inside of oneself. And as you're speaking and contextualizing it into our cultural moment, I think about how when we end up in this confusion or uncertainty, we tend to look outward for clarification about our, who am I in relation to life? And it is an outward thing. And so what continuum is an invitation to develop a safe inward relationship. And that's also part of this imperative movement we're starting to see of can I live in a body? I have a body. What is my relationship to my body? So could you maybe share a little bit about that, contextualizing it in that way as this, that invitation, how do I live in this body? Mm. Yeah, I, I love that you said it's an emerging um, movement because it is, it is truly um, uh, an emerging, the whole somatic movement field is emerging as a uh, an entry point for self-care right now and I think that what you're asking is what what actually happens in the inward orientation towards my own safety and well-being and so on, on Sunday there was an article in the New York Times called slowing down to feel a, a whole beautiful article on somatic movement um, with Dr. Martha Eddy, who teaches somatic movement and knows all about continuum and the relevancy of 
noticing sensation, valuing the sensation of this moment as valuable information to notice, to participate with, to innovate out of. So the basic elements that Continuum works with are sensation, breath, ground in a way, gravity, how gravity moves through your body and feeling where the support systems are in gravitational fields, not as in sending a cord down to the middle of the earth to ground, but can I actually feel the fluid in my body in relation to the electromagnetic field and the gravitational field of the earth? And if I could, would it help my sense of safety? And I find that it does. Uh, a big part of the practice is noticing the movement of awareness and how is my attention focalizing um, too much at a particular moment when the lens needs to widen and be more open to include something that never had importance before in a felt sense, in my environment. So keeping the, the lens fluid and flexible as well as the body is, is a key part of the work. So it's why it has become kind of a philosophy of living, as you said, because it really affects the way that I have relationships, the way that I move in my community, the way that I grandparent now, the way that I did parent when I had children. Um, it affects that kind of fluid flexibility in attention and body really feed into living a high quality life. I'm excited by what you're saying, and there's many directions that I want to hear you expand upon and gift to others. I will share the different words I'm hearing and interested in, and then I'll give you the floor to choose which avenue to take. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the first one is emergence. You have really helped me to notice that that is actually the name for this experience of what I would maybe say is greeting the life with a participatory sense of wonder without having to know everything that's going to happen next. Yes. And it's certainly been helping me reorient. Another thing you've mentioned or alluded to is living fluid. So what does it mean to be living from fluid water movement? And I might say, as opposed to muscular drive. Great. And then, yeah, how that contributes to actual change in felt experience and one's ability to embody. And then from there, how does that change our experience of our relating on this planet. Mm. Many, many ways to go. <laughs> Choose uh, the avenue. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I want to focus in on the living fluidly because that's sort of the key central teaching of continuum is that the body is mostly fluid. 
at all times of our lives, we have that movement going on and, and accessible to us if we know how to pay attention to it and listen to it as a key ingredient in living well. And I think the movement of water always brings life. Uh, and so if you look at um, transformational processes in cross-cultural, in various religions, all transformational rituals involve water. So it makes sense that if I were to go into my own water, it might contribute to a, a transformative experience that would then enhance the quality of my life. So when we move, the movement that we actually practice in continuum, it, it is almost like the fluid is the leader and the muscles go along for the ride. So it's not like it doesn't involve the muscles, but as you said, the muscles aren't driving the show. So what's really moving is the water and I'm engendering more fluid flow by moving in, in fluid patterns, waves, spirals, arcs, curves, splashes, gushes, trickles, um, vapor. You know, water has so many different forms that it can take on depending upon the circumstances. So it makes sense that we too have many options in our repertoire and can take on many forms as we learn to use water as a reference and a guide. So um, yeah, somebody in class the other day asked, well, what about, what about all these other kinds, you know, what about strength training and what about aerobic workouts and um, don't you need to do all that? And, and, and at most exercise regimes that we know of have been applied from a context that has something to do with war. So when you look at how, and I, and I did get a master's degree in physical education, so I have some degree of familiarity with this. <laughs> the Royal Air Force Academy exercises, aerobic training, all of it, you know, if, if we if we listen to our bodies, our bodies tell us when we need to move our bodies more. We know my heart feels a little stagnant. I'm gonna go out and take a brisk walk or I'm gonna jump on my trampoline or I'm gonna hang upside down on a chair. Those are all things that I do when my heart feels needing, needing of some more input. So the fluid medium is always present to dip into as we learn to pay attention to it. And a lot of times we just take it for granted and um, strategize from a muscular mind. What can I do to make my life better? Which is a fair question. Um, but the, the, that living fluidly versus muscularly is really um, an invitation to touch kindness towards yourself and care because always the relief that people feel when they actually move fluidly is uh, overwhelming. I'm always surprised by it when I'm leading a class or people, people respond. It sounds so esoteric, but when they actually are in the environment where they're moving with their yearning to live in a in a more fluid way, in a kind of fluid flow, it has uh, great power. 
So um, then you asked about the contribution to embodiment, and embodiment is becoming kind of a household word now. And a lot of times people consider embodiment means moving your body, which is true. And <laughs> what we actually experience from, from the landscape of our body, from the voice of our bodies, is translated through the silent world, not through our linguistic um, filter. So we have to have enough time and space to feel what's going on before we actually start to move in a larger way. So in continuum, movement is what we are as well as what we do. And to innovate the way I attend to the movement that we are then allows me to sense embodiment in every breath. It's not just something that I, when I move my body, that I'm embodied. So I think it's an interesting uh, discussion mm -hmm. to talk about embodiment. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been powerful for me. I can speak to as both a person that came to you desiring healing and then also as a practitioner who works with bodies. And I, I think it was... I don't know, a year and a half ago or so, I was speaking to a group of chiropractors and they were students. And I asked them to raise their hand if they'd ever thought about what it meant to be embodied and not a single person in the room raised their hand. <laughs> and that's quite a reflection of the situation yep. because we're people who work with bodies. And these are people who have beautiful, intricate, gorgeous relationships to the idea of what healing is and what life is. And yet that question wasn't in that room. And I know if it's not in that room, it's actually still not in a lot of rooms, even though you and I are aware of an sort of a interesting um, movement of bringing people together in sort of somatic and embodiment worlds and the embodied in social justice and how we look at that, which is awesome. And um, an interesting time to take part in it. So, and as a practitioner, it's so interesting. I was working with um, uh, somebody recently who works in a field that maybe is related to somatic psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And she was blown away by some of the simple things I brought into our into the office in terms of bringing the hands to the body to feel what self-compassion means, mm. not self-compassion as a construct of, I forgive myself, but self-compassion as place a hand on your heart and a hand on your belly and rock yourself. Such a big difference of taking it to the body. And then perhaps even less conceptually in the invitation to be able to be embodied in the power of continuum, I can reflect for myself on I was a dancer like you. I was a yoga teacher turned chiropractor, practiced yoga pretty much every day. And then when I got to a state of injury uh, from mercury leaving my body and then multiple other uh, traumas happening at the same time, my body interpreted stretching as a threat that would cause panic attacks. And mm -hmm. so that's when I really had to figure out 
on a practical level, how can I be in this body? A lot of people don't come with that big of a question. Maybe it's more just anxiety or constant disassociation through television or social media. Um, but it's how can I be in this body? And so by practically practicing, you know, I came to you at a time I had done some hanasomatics for sure, started to get me into the body and find safe movement that could mm -hmm. then open it. Um, but that is truly how I then came to you and started to feel fluidity because it was, I was at a state of how can I be in this body right now in this life? And it leads me to actually a quote I'm going to pull from your book, but you're quoting someone else. So it's from a moving inquiry, the art of personal practice by Beth. And this is a quote of Darlene Cohen. And it says, if we practice paying attention to our body, mainly to get rid of our suffering or restore an ailing body to functioning rather than to express our life and our nature, it is a very narrow achievement. Just as the clay Buddha cannot go through the water or a wood Buddha cannot go through fire, a goal oriented healing practice cannot permeate deeply enough. We must penetrate our anguish and pain so thoroughly that illness and health lose their distinction allowing us to just live our lives. Healing ourselves is like living our lives. It's not a preparation for anything else, nor a journey to another situation called wellness. It is its own self. It has its own value. Mm -hmm. That's so, that. it's so meaningful to me. And I'm going to, I'm going to toss the baton back to you. Yeah. I just want to throw in one more weaving because you mentioned how a lot of exercises were like training for war. Ooh. And in my field, we all, I also found the tones of that. And it's um, even when I made my film love over fear, mm -hmm. um, get to this thing called wellness. So I never have to feel this pain or sickness again, conquer every goal. You know, it's every, it's this, 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 we live in this paradigm. So what we're talking about is radical, radical. Yes. So I passed the baton. Yeah. So I just love that you brought that quote in because um, Darlene Cohen is no longer alive. She she went on to become a Buddhist nun, but I I laid on the mat next to her during a long continuum workshop, and after you know we had our 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 all nighters, which when when you sleep in an incubation kind of situation, so you you're in the dark for. Um, two or three days in silence, moving, sounding, breathing, walking, eating, doing what you do, but you're in a container. So she and I were next to each other. And after that, that three days, we were all checking in. And she said, I felt the moments between the moments of pain. So she lived with rheumatoid arthritis her whole life. And what she discovered through Continuum was there was some spaces between the moments of pain where she could start to feel her life force again. And ultimately, I think, opened the lens for that kind of awareness of the, the muscularity of, of having such a direct goal-oriented practice can actually make healing impossible at the deeper levels. So, and I love that, you know, healing ourselves is just like living our lives. Every, every moment is a direct discovery, can be a direct discovery 
of the intelligence of the life that we carry and just kind of circling back to the word emergence you said it, it's an emerging um, uh, philosophy but it's based on an evolutionary history that we carry in our fluids that's 14 billion years old so one of the the um, two questions that Emily the founder of Continuum kind of threw into my psyche at key moments were one which you mentioned what is it we're calling a body she returned had returned from being the keynote speaker at a somatic conference in the 90s up in London and she was shocked that somatic practitioners had never asked themselves that question what is it we're calling a body and so out of that the body is movement and you have to see that you're you're carrying an evolutionary wisdom and intelligence that is incredible that's been here for billions of years and still is living through each one of us as we engage with it and partner with it so it's emerging yes and it's also ancient and um, we used to as I mentioned the incubation period spend time you know in the dark and she she brought out Emily brought out this book called in the dark places of wisdom which is a, a book by Peter Kingsley in which he talks about ancient Greece and how they had what was called the night council where people would dwell in the dark to determine how are we going to move as a society and that Esculapian dream temple vision of can I have an experience where nothing else except for what I'm directly feeling in my life force how I'm living my life that's the only thing that I'm going to dwell in and consider as I go in to this silent world so um, I think the antiquity is is there and as Peter Kingsley said we carry stars in our pockets we are ancient and knowing that we can emerge with some degree of intelligence into a future so it's um, that's a long answer to your curiosity about how we live our lives but for me the complexity of the complexity and the simplicity of the practice is eternally engaging and interesting and I I used to be someone in my dancer and yogi world after going from the ballet studio to the Iyengar yoga school in San Francisco I was so thrilled that I found a way of expressing myself where I didn't have to talk and I could just be in class or on stage and through my movement I would be able to communicate and Emily called me on it she said don't be a limber fool actually the way you speak is movement so can you allow your words to be more like water and it gave rise to being able to um, come up with verbal expressions that matched the way my movement felt in my body which gave rise to poetry which gave rise to the book and I do think that poetry is a language that's big enough to meet the complexity of the movement inside and the depth of it
So that is why I interweave poetry into all my classes. Which is something I love and what I can feel in the way you speak is a combination of an expression of reverence and awe that weaves into your classes and that also was an invitation that brought me into continuum. I was, I, I sat down to read Life on Land, Emily's book, and I felt in the first chapter, the reverence for the potentiality stored in every one of our cells as connected to the cosmic organism mm. that I remembered from my origins in chiropractic, but had forgotten in the severe way in which Mercury and the loss of my mom affected my capacity to feel reverence or feel any, any level of connection to that as truth. Mm. And when I read it in the book, it awoke that in me and I just started bawling and then I needed it. And that's when I found then the book and then I met you and Interestingly, because as you've gotten to know, you know, I also have this like um, science mind that needs to know. So you've been helping me balance my need to know with my wonder. <laughs> but recently I've been in contact with a researcher friend of mine who's been uh, collaborating with the Greater Good Institute in progressing their research on awe. And at first they found they were doing it uh, as in one's relation to the greater whole through these outer ex experiences out in nature. Well, they, they brought it home because during the, they were looking at it in relation to people's well-being while in um, the lockdowns and the, mm. you couldn't move outwardly. Is there a new way I can experience awe? And of course they found that by eliciting awe, you have all these greater sense of well-being and healing and this sense of fluidity that you're speaking of. And so I just, I wanted to point out that thread and how much that is a, a part of the movement. Um, that so beautiful. Thank you for getting that. It's something, you know, you can't really say, here's awe on a plate. <laughs> you know, you can't say this is the way to awe. You can sort of invite people into the territory and, um, see what happens but that's one of the things that I love about living at all is that it's 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 soaked through with awe when you know how to how to how to know it when you know how to recognize it so sensation is a big part of how we enter into the experience of awe I think in the yoga world <laughs> uh, there was a in the bhakti yoga in particular, there's this thing that happens in bhakti yogis where they call it the horripulation of the flesh. <laughs> and it's like goosebumps is what they're talking about. And so how do we actually recognize that is a, that is a, a moment of awe? And it has all sorts of weird words associated with it, but the simplicity and the transformative capacity of awe and I can remember being, you know, even before I did Continuum, um, lying on the valley floor in Yosemite, looking up at the night sky and recognizing 
I'm a cell in the fingernail of the body of life. And that, that awe, that relational awe that I'm not alone and I'm, I'm connected to the larger whole and I'm tiny at the same, all at the same time had such a profound effect on me so that when I did meet Continuum, it was like, oh, I know this place. This is the place that was there. And I felt that in my body. So, um, yeah, and so I, I, I thought maybe this would be a good time to share a poem. I want to hear your poem, and I also want to, sh I'd like to, sh to I have some, a burning re reply. Good. And I would love to hear, I definitely feel your poem <laughs> cueing strongly. Uh, my reply is that I'm, rec I'm remembering when that, when this, actually when my friend suggested the awe practice at home. I couldn't feel it. Mm -hmm. I said, that's interesting, but I can't feel that. And so there is a certain amount of healing that has to happen for someone to feel what we're talking about. And I feel I've experienced continuum helping me with that. And in large part, because awe has actually been a huge healing component for me. I think of Yosemite. I go camping a lot. I think of the connection to nature. Mm -hmm. And then what happens when we are so, when we experience a life material so strong that I think of last October when California, there was nowhere to go. Smoke filled every air. There was nowhere for me to go mm. besides be in my house and hope the electricity stays on to filter this air so that we can breathe. Continuum was what I did every day through that experience because then I could come into my body and a healing had happened. Mm. And interestingly, I was at a conference, virtual conference over the weekend, and I heard a teacher and he was actually speaking of awe experiences induced by ceremonies that people are going through, but he was equating it to the ability for serotonin to, to, to go into the flood into the brain. He said, but when you, when the brain is so um, held up by toxins that everyone is living with, like mercury stuck in the brain, you actually can't, you, you can't access any of it. And I was so astounded because it's, it spoke to exactly what my body has gone through. And I, I want to bring that forward just because continuum was such a huge part of literally allowing me to find space of peace in my body mm -hmm. and find that fluidity again. Yeah. And by finding the liquid fluidity, literally, I believe then cell receptors open up. Uh, the gunk leaves that, that which cannot flow, that which cannot be fluid starts to become fluid and move and literally physiological healing occurs. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to bring it home to that way in that practical sense for mm -hmm. anyone who's listening and wondering about, yeah, but how could fluidity like help my body or how could I access that? Because I can't even feel that right now. Right. I'm too chaotic or I'm yes. too worried. And that's body. It's not the mind that's worried or the mind that's chaotic. It's mm -hmm. the body. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And I, 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 I think it, it kind of speaks to the, the entry point of the three anatomies, which is interwoven into the continuum teaching. We all have what, what in continuum we would call the cultural anatomy. I think Bonnie Gintis calls it the personal anatomy, but I like it as the cultural anatomy because we are we have 
we have to shape ourselves according to the context in which we live. And sometimes in order to, to make it through the day, we breathe much less, as you're saying. We, circumstances occur and we have to bolster ourselves up. And then that bolstering becomes like a crust all around us and, and, and prevents the awareness from getting underneath until we start to recognize through experimentation and invitation that maybe if I followed the breath all the way out and all the way in, that I could start to activate what's called the primordial anatomy, which is that fluidity, and which brings me into a sense of being connected to the larger whole, which is the third anatomy, which is called, Emily named the cosmic anatomy, which is hard to identify what that actually means, but it's the connected to the larger whole. But all of us deal with the cultural shapings that go on, and all of us have personal circumstances that have created different levels and layers of crust that we identify with and define ourselves through. So it's, it's, it's a key piece to recognize that what is actually going on in any given moment that's one layer and at the same moment underneath that crust that I've uh, I've taken on as a result of being part of this culture is this fluid sense if I can just start to feel a little inkling in the back of my throat as I exhale or start to feel my cheekbones beginning to melt down my face or my tongue softening into the the mouth and all those little you know, when you start to, to, to feel those tissues relax, then the saliva starts to come, right? And that's a sign that the fluid is beginning to respond to the shift in the shaping of the body and the holding patterns that are there for survival, for sure, because there was no other way we knew how to do it, that we did the best we could do. We are doing the best we can do. So I... I I think that's a really interesting invitation to underscore for people who are listening that there is a life underneath the patterns and um, tension spots and even the diagnoses that we might get that is so much bigger and has more flow to it. You're reminding me of a poem. <laughs> Actually, no, it's not a poem. Let me see. I'm not going to find it, but you're reminding me of one of my favorite quotes. I sent you one time that I've carried around for about 30 years yeah. from Sora Neale Hurston's book, Seraph on the Suwanee. And there was this point they, that um, a character I was talking about another character and as a underground rivulet moving body of water mm. and that we're all like underground rivulets finding our way back to the ocean. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so I definitely want to go where you're saying what I envi I'm envisioning that we're going to chat a little bit more about this moment that we're in and the relevance of the the healing that's happening on an individual level connected to that three anatomy context. Because to me, I see this as a, such a different way of being mm. that heals some of these patterns, these intergenerational patterns.
And then I'd love to move into perhaps a, a short guided journey that you could right. take us on. Okay. And then I, and then your poem, I feel your poem. It's like this capstone for us. <laughs> so could we speak about those three anatomies? I, there's two things I'm curious about. One is we're hearing a lot lately. I'm hearing a lot lately about intergenerational trauma. And I'm also hearing, I hear a challenge there in that if we think we carry around intergenerational trauma, um, that's a different thing to heal than if we carry around intergenerational response patterns mm. uh, that can be liquefied in a different way. That's and that as we heal those and we move differently with them, we bring forward a connection both to that primordial wisdom mm -hmm. and also this cosmic wisdom and that those things can actually also hold and tonify that individual and cultural anatomy. Mm, really great. I love that reframe. So, um, you know, uh, Thomas Hubel just did this uh, summit a few months ago on healing collective trauma. And he said, trauma is something that happens in us, not to us. And so that was a great distinction, kind of what you're saying. It's the response pattern that we're, we're really um, interested in and wanting to widen the lens so that some other pattern or you know flow can begin to inform me besides a repeat. And I think Resma Manikin talks about 14 generations of trauma happen and still live in us. But um, the idea that Emily put forward to us in the practice of continuum is um, can I live in my culture and not be bound by it? The organism might have a destiny separate and apart from that of its host. So the host has experienced trauma and lives a life through that lens of the traumatic patterning and tries to heal, heal, heal in the way that you talked about earlier from the muscular point of view. And can I chisel this away? Can I chisel that away? And maybe I'll get to be free of this trauma. The trauma is in the lead always in that, in that template. The trauma is the thing that because of the pre, pre, um, prefrontal cortex. No, <laughs> because of the, the <laughs> preference towards identifying with a trauma. Negativity bias. Yes. It becomes, it becomes dominant in the practice in, in, in trying to heal. So as you brought in Darlene Cohen and widening the lens. So what Emily would call the broadband virtuoso is part of what we can activate through trauma. I mean, even that word, she would never use that word because it's too localized. It, the word itself localizes me in the experience. It, it locates me into how the, how the past is still in this moment. And so the, the, the practice of, well, what else is going on besides this, this pattern, this response pattern that I am so familiar with. And rather than looking at the response pattern and trying to get rid of it, maybe there's a sensation in my ear that is brand new that I've never felt. And if I start to move from the cochlea, from the spiral in my own ear, maybe there's something that can start to change in that pattern. Don't know. 
but I will go back and forth from the neutral to pleasurable movements to the response patterns that might be causing constriction and find that in that movement of my awareness between something that feels neutral to good, it's a classic somatic experiencing uh, approach to um, the response pattern that the response pattern then starts to change. So uh, I think that um, it's an important distinction to talk about it being a response pattern and that patterns are there to be innovated and changed and participated with and open to. So I hope that um, addresses your interest in talking about that. I think it's liberating to think of it as a pattern in that way mm-hmm. and also not a pattern that to be overcome, fought, yeah. or broken, Good. but a pattern to be innovated upon to find novelty and play and movement in other directions. And awe. And awe. And that's what I felt in what you were <laughs> saying. I also felt this rivulet of awe that could come in with another reframe or maybe just an invitation to bring this concept into the conversation, which is that in my world, in my view, these patterns of response are made by an innate intelligence that is acting for our good and our survival. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that we can we can get into relationship with that element of ourselves, whether it's we think of it as the primordial anatomy, that part of ourselves that cares about us and wants us to survive. And then if we can get into a duet with it and move with it, now we can innovate and get in touch with that cosmic potential. And by doing that, bring in a new texture, a new dance, a new movement into our cultural mm-hmm. body. Yes. Yes. It's beautiful. And, and you know, um, Bonnie Gintis, who's an osteopath and a continuum teacher, talks about health being the referent point in her book. And so when we, when we start to open up the lens, and in classical osteopathy, the founder, Andrew Taylor Still said, anyone can find the disease in a system. And the task of a doctor is to find the health in the system and amplify it. And I think that's really what Continuum offers, is a way to amplify the health in the system. And then the patterning then has the chance to be in a context of health in which the pattern itself can start to unwind or whatever the movement is, the pattern itself. and as you say, inherent in the pattern is the survival and the intelligence. And it has gone slightly awry, but that power of life and health and survival is always there as an expression of our um, privilege, really, to be here. And how healing, as you speak, I'm thinking of the practice and how healing it is also to bring the disquieted mind of worry about what is this thing, you know, the catastrophizing, the worrying, the fear that symptomatology or um, 
disease names bring up or even cultural names, cultural problems, the things that we're facing, it's so tonifying to move with it differently by landing into the body yeah. and then getting with a new relationship. And it, it sounds so conceptual, but it's so healing in me. And then I watch it because I do have the grace to be in practice with people right now in all of our protocol ways. I get to watch it with them. Mm-hmm. And oh. I see there, I, I ask people now to tell me um, before the before the experience, what is the quality of your thoughts? A few words for your emotions and a few words for your body experience. And then I ask again, and these just totally shift and change. And what's so incredible to me in witnessing it and experiencing it is that when I can get into this more fluid place and access this, these greater options, more novelty, that is where resources, innovative ideas, and collaboration with other resourced, innovative people happens. Yeah. And that's where innovative solution joy, all of it can happen. Mm-hmm. And yet it's so hard for the mind to, to surrender to moving in that way. And so powerful when we can. Right. And we, we don't even recognize that there's an option if we're stuck in the flypaper of our own minds. You know, it becomes very sticky to navigate that world, just trying to feel better. Just, I'm just trying to feel better. Maybe if I do this or that that undercurrent of, uh, and again, I also have witnessed so many people having those kind of revelatory experiences before and after the practice, that at, over time, even with the Zoom, the Zoom environment, since the beginning of the pandemic, the, you know, people, I've only met them on Zoom, so it's their own practice that is actually doing the work. It's not me. It's their own practice and their own relationship with their intelligent life force that they're carrying that starts to do the transformation. And that feels so empowering as I like to say I'm a guide on the side, not a sage on the stage, because it is, I don't teach, I share my practice. And then here, you try it, see what happens. And then always, you know, I had somebody who's, you know, maybe she's been with me for two or three months on Zoom. She has been in several car accidents, debilitating pain. And Tuesday she said, I'm out of pain. I'm out of pain. I mean, she didn't start the practice because she wanted to get out of pain. She started the practice because it felt good. So it's kind of like a byproduct that there was healing that happened for her. And I know when I need to move because I start to feel stiff and I know my body's giving me the invitations. Okay, lie down on the floor, take a breath, turn on some music if you want and see what feels good. And ultimately it, it is an invitation from the body that I, I try to live my life through. And that's everything, everything about what you just shared points back towards one's ability to build a relationship with one's inner world uh, which we're using the term interoception, but be, being able to expand upon one's one, one's relationship with one's own self and what does the intelligence of my body need in this moment. Mm. And I would share that even via Zoom, interestingly, 
uh, I would, Stephen Porges was in the conference I was in over the weekend and I can't remember the study he said, but he did say that these zooms we're doing have been shown to offer co-regulation that one would receive in a group with other people. Very cool. Yeah. So even though, um, you and I've only interacted via zoom, I have received a tremendous amount of co-regulation from you. Another word for that would be you're able to host or a teacher, another person who's feeling fluid is mm -hmm. able to offer that fluidity in a space to others when we can't find it ourselves, when we can't find that reverence, someone else can spark it or host it or offer it. And we then are invited to feel it and it awakens it in us. Yeah. And then we can slowly, but surely access it as our own. Yeah. And that leads me actually to, uh, you're going to be leading for those who are listening to this. When I put it out, Beth has an invitation where she's going to be leading a seven week class. Could you share about that upcoming class? Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate your, um, your, your, testimonial <laughs> because every every Tuesday in the last year when I had a class something major has happened in the world like there's a fire there's a pandemic there's a protest there's a storming the capitol there's an inaugural you know every how am I going to show up for this class after this happened every single I mean almost every week and it was always the life force is calling it wasn't my personal preference sometimes to try to help people. <laughs> I just wanted to hide in the bed with the covers over my head. But the fluid, the life force is saying, we can do this. And we can only do this together. And that felt really important. Um, so yes, I am doing this course starting February 16th based on my book that Rhea so kindly mentioned at the beginning called A Moving Inquiry, The Art of Personal Practice, because it is always what we do on a regular basis that starts to change how we do everything. Um, and Mark Nepo is one of the quotes in the book, and he says, a meaningful, a meaningful practice brings positive change. Um, doing the same thing over and over go basically preserves the status quo. But sometimes people don't know how to go into having a practice or even how to be in their bodies in a way that has awe and reverence as we've been talking about it. So this is a step-by-step -step guide to the practice of continuum as an entry point to full embodiment. You could apply this to Qigong, Tai Chi, yoga, any physical practice that you do, but this particular course will be learning continuum, the basics of breath, sound, movement, attention and beginning to every week come together with an assignment to practice with small group support and also a little one-on-one -on -one coaching so there's an opportunity to have different levels of support to develop a home practice based on continuum and I I feel as an educator propelled to do something different and this is really a different platform that I've um, discovered that can help create more intimacy in the online world and kind of a, a fluency, uh, an ease of communication 
that you know you're not alone because you have an accountability buddy who's, you know, you're going to both be diving together on Thursdays separate from the class. There's, there's a lot of room for innovation in one's own home. There's video support, audio recordings that are supporting. And it's, it's designed to go along with the book. So the book is the manual for the course. Beautiful. So if people are interested in that and hearing this before February 16th, 16th 2021, uh, where would they go for more? TheMovingWell.com? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'll put a link in notes. And if you're listening to it after and interested, the book is awesome and also walks you through it. It's called A Moving Inquiry, The Art of Personal Practice. And you said something about the change, like incremental change creates this mm -hmm. invitation for novelty and new. And I've really been thinking so much about this lately after watching the documentary, The Social Dilemma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in The Social Dilemma, it there was some scene in there where they said that the artificial intelligence inside of our social, of the social media, the primary social media we're using has, um, it changes your viewpoint by 1%, I believe each day, each day you interact with it, it's changing your viewpoint by 1% more extreme in order to polarize because that makes you want to engage with it more. So people are becoming 1% novel, pushed into more polarized, which would be a less fluid way, mm -hmm. unconsciously every time they're interacting with social media outlets, which people go to because they need mm -hmm. co-regulation and authentic regulating with others. And then the other element from it they talked about is that you, the idea is they want you to interact more, which means that it's playing off of this nervous systems need to regulate itself through feeling connected to other people, but it's breaking that just enough so you don't get what you want. So you have an addiction response to it where you will never have that need met. Mm. I say that because what you're creating and what I think that we need to be aware of consciously looking for is environments that invite 1% change in a tonifying opposite direction of what the artificial intelligence is doing. Yeah. Can I intentionally create just 1% more fluidity or can I find 1% novelty today in a way that might tonify my perception mm. to a more resilient, more resourced way? Mm -hmm. I love that. I often say, can, can you bring 1% more kindness into your own experience? And that ultimately relaxes the tissues and ultimately changes the physiology. 1% more, not a whole bunch, just 1%. Ultimately, that is, that's beautiful. I didn't know, I didn't pull out that 1% from the film. Thank you. Yeah, that 1%, it, it can, um, it's changing us no matter how we participate with it, right? At, mm. at this point in our uh, cultural body. Yeah, very interesting. Very important right now to, to keep alert to that because we don't know how much longer we're going to be in this circumstance. And Maybe there are other ways of connecting. I have found the platform that I'm using, the Sutra platform for the course. I took um, their initial class called Transformational Teaching Online in, in November, and I couldn't wait to be in the environment because there was so much presence. 
it wasn't somebody just talking at me. It was like, oh, we really can be present with each other in this, in this venue. This is possible. It's like I could feel my body longing for that. And, and it satisfied that, which was a complete surprise. I don't have time for this. I've got so many other things I need to do. I'm on Zoom so much. I can't do this. Mm. And yet that just kept rising to the surface, how it felt. Mm. So I hope to pass it on in the course that I'm teaching because it's, it's really powerful. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And I get to be one of the supportive coaches holding a, a circle mm-hmm. that I'll be a part of. So Thank you for that. Uh, anyone interested? themovingwell.com. Um, so Beth, I would love to hear the gift of your poem, if you still feel care to share it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's weaves, it's woven through this whole conversation. And I, I'll just say that um, this, I, I, my practice has been moving, doing a continuum practice and then writing poetry after. So this particular poem came out of an early morning continuum practice. And it's called Drenched in the Lake of Awareness. And it is in the book. So if you need a copy, um, there, there is a copy in the book. Drenched in the Lake of Awareness. Pausing in the early morning candlelight before sliding behind the mask of a life. A covering to obscure the real bare wildness of daylight, of heartbreak and fear, a mask of obligations, promises, and regrets so thick that breath cannot find itself, is almost imperceptible. On days like this, hope is unfounded, faith is veiled, love is buried, yet there is a fragrance of a memory that finds itself through my skin, my feet, my sinuous stretching, the direct experience of a vibrant life in the lake of awareness. A unitive exuberance returns across landscapes and times, emulating an essentially human aliveness that brings things unfounded, veiled and buried, rushing into the morning to be touched and felt again as the return of hope, a river of faith, a cavernous love, breaking through the barriers of habit, winding their way into a moment of grace. In the darkest days, the presence of great love cradles and comes again, comes as the simplicity of beauty found in each shifting of light and color the illumination of mystery, moment by moment, breath by breath, life by life. I feel like your poem is was both the invitation to the poem and to an experience of continuum as I flow and feel it. Mm. Would you be willing for those who've never been in a continuum class to extend that texture to perhaps what would equate to a brief arrival? Yeah, happy to do that. Yeah. 
Thank you. And I, I haven't ever read that poem out loud in public, so it feels really great to share that. So if you're listening and can just take a moment to feel where you're sitting, so we're going to arrive in this moment together, feeling the places where your body's touching the chair or the ground, if you're lying down, any, any point of contact you have through your body, whether it's your feet, your pelvis, your back, just noticing those contact points and allowing gravity to move through those contact points a little more fully as you release and relax into the moment. And then as you feel that letting go, you might notice areas that need extra encouragement to relax. Just feel free to take your attention there and soften. And then very gently begin to notice the sensation of your breath, how your breath touches the tip of your nose as a coolness. If you're breathing through the nose, hopefully you are. Notice the path of air as it travels into your lungs and the movement of the breath. So seeing if you can feel the back expanding with the inhalation, points of contact perhaps getting wider, and exhaling and releasing even more fully into the flow of gravity through your body, which is ultimately cueing the fluidity inside. Softening your belly as you breathe. And then gently bringing your hand to your breastbone. Just feeling the warmth of your touch there. Feel the movement of your breath under your hand. And very gently beginning to exhale through the mouth with an HA sound. So you really hear and feel the fullness of your exhale and the tissues responding as you take that HA sound, a breathy HA, like a whisper. Pausing at the base of the exhale, noticing what's letting go. And begin to inhale again. And just do that two more times. Closer to your own experience here. And then just bringing your hand back down and take a breath and notice if anything feels different. And we'll do one more breath, which is, uh, in continuum, we use sound as audible breath, a way of really inhabiting sensation more fully in a felt sense. It's not about chanting a mantra or anything like that. It's just simply experiencing the wave motion of the sound traveling through tissue. So again, feeling that 
hand on the breastbone. You can bring the other hand to your belly so you get a little broader uh, impact. And just bringing the sound of M, the simple humming sound here, and let yourself move mm, as if you're a leaf on water with this sound. Just how would you meander as you were resting on the water, in the water? Following what feels good. Notice how your body responds to this invitation to simply feel the presence of water and the movement of sound and breath as you yield your attention into the direct experience. And slowly bringing that to a pause. And just even this, this tiny little exploration of fluidity and sound and breath, notice what feels different. Where's your breath now? What's the sense of aliveness you can perhaps feel in your skin or under your skin? Mm -hmm. And enjoy. And that's that's a direct practice that we'll do the I think in the first week of the book of the book course. So if you want more, join us. Thank you so much. I I feel very fluid now and relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> um so I'll put the link to that in the, the moving well link and Beth, is there anything else you feel to add to the movement of our words before I close? Mm. Um, I just, I have this vision of humanity having access to this way of living that brings tears to my eyes right now. And my hope is that we can help each other live in our bodies in a kind and compassionate way together as we make our way into a future we can't even imagine, but we can find together. Thank you. That's so profound that I want to touch on that because you said we can't even imagine it. And I know so many people are having that feeling of when things feel so difficult, it's hard to imagine what's different. And what you just said is that we can, if we can't imagine it, we can feel into it. Yeah. And that's the pathway we need to practice, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Rhea. Thank you for all the work you're doing in your world, with your patients, your community, for sharing the work the way that you do. Really appreciate it.
You're welcome. Thank you so much. It's uh, all of our little leaves floating in the water make ripples. Yeah. Don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Beth. Mm -hmm. And that wraps up this episode of Blossom Radio. If you want to dive deeper into these ideas or connect with me directly, head on over to blossomlife.com. That's blossomlife.com. Until next time, I wish you a rich experience of life today. See you later, alligator, after wild crocodile. Bye. Ciao. And adios, amigos.